I just realized I had my left earbud in my right ear. <laughs> okay, so now the microphone is near my face. So, um, welcome back. It's been a while, man. Yeah, it um, has been. Yeah, I, I must admit, I have been very distracted the last couple of weeks and have paid very little attention to um, our little project here. Yeah. Well, I think it's okay. You know, we, uh, for all intents and purposes, took a little, took a little Christmas break. Mm-hmm. Um, we did a little bit of recording, but not too much actual work. Mm-hmm. So now that now that things are back in motion, we can start regular regular order once again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, you're currently editing a few episodes that we recorded over the holidays. Um, we also have episodes yep. one, two, and three that we haven't released yet. Um, yeah, which we probably will. And we're currently recording episode seven. Um, and for the sake of context, sir, anyone that's listening, this is what mid-January, um, and we're just starting off a new semester. Yep. For all of our tens of listeners. Yeah, tens of <laughs> listeners. Tens of <laughs> listeners. Some of which might actually not be related to us. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or just me spamming the refresh button. Yeah. Well, we got to get that play count up. Uh, so before we get into some follow-up from our last episode. Um, which are some things that I maybe want to touch on from last time. Um, let's just uh, check in. I don't think I've actually talked to you since we saw each other over the holidays. Um, yeah. How have you been, man? What have you been up to? Pretty good. Um, I spent a little bit of time, briefly, like a day, visiting my dad and sister in Texas. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. I uh, Actually, what I was afraid of, um, with that sort of the witness factor mm-hmm. uh, happened a little bit. It was just one guy, and he was like, "What the heck, man? You're in Hawaii?" Because <laughs> I did end up posting a few pictures to Instagram. Oh, for um, yeah, it's like oh yeah, you know. It becomes this whole big conversation where I have to explain. So this is somebody like, somebody oh. that you're related to? No, no, no. Uh, fellow Jesuit. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, it's okay. I think that you're you're. I mentioned this to you last time. I think you're completely justified in what you did, and also, you know, it gives you an opportunity to explain yourself, and I think that's fine. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it was good. You know, v- being able to visit and reconnect. Uh, and then I came back to Berkeley, um, working on some various projects. I have a retreat that I'm helping. Uh, lead next month, mm-hmm. so I'm getting some of that stuff ready. Oh, cool, so, cool. Have you guys started your new semester? No, we don't start until the very end of the month. Oh January my, twenty ninth. Wow. No, yeah, we started school this past Monday, so we've been uh, we've been at the grind already. Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. So since I saw you, uh, since you asked, I'll tell you how I'm doing. Thank you. Um. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I I saw you in Grecato, and then I actually I went back to Houston uh, after the formation gathering and got to see my family for another week, um, which is really great, and got to spend New Year's with them. Um, in particular, it was really good because um, all of my family was gathered because one of my brother's uh, wife is pregnant, and she's due in these in these days, and so got to spend time with her and got to spend time with the whole family. Um, now, all that being said, uh, there was something that happened while I was at home uh, that I wanted to talk to you about. Oh? 
and it actually gets into one of our topics for today, um, which I think we can just jump right into. Uh, okay. I have a dog, and her name is Lola. You have a dog. Well, I grew up in a house that had a dog in it, and my <laughs> parents live with said dog in their house in Houston, oh, and I got to spend a lot of time with them last week um, with Lola as well. And I intentionally didn't tell you this so that we could talk about it on the air. <laughs> okay. Uh, we had to put her down on Tuesday. Oh, uh, no. I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, you know Lola. You've met her before. Yeah. Uh, and on Tuesday, uh, we had to take her to the vet, and uh, she had to be put down. Oh, that's sad. Yeah. It's very sad. And I've been surprised at how much it's affected me. Because, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. And You're I guess. Kind of a grouch. About pets. <laughs> well, yeah, and I guess this is the to- this is the topic of conversation that you and I wanted to have uh, for a couple of episodes now, which is yeah. uh, the relationship that we have with our pets. And I think this was yeah. spawned because you and I uh, both have come into the understanding that there are some people who treat pets in a way uh, that we find very odd. And so we just kind of want to talk about what is our relationship uh, to our pets yeah. and to animals. Um, I thought this would be a good segue into that just because I found myself... Um, in in Houston last week and hanging out with my family, but also spending time with Lola and walking her and feeding her and giving her her medicine, um, mm-hmm. full, fully aware of the fact that she was sick and about yeah. to, and also that we had been scheduling the possible, um, you know, euthanizing of her uh, at, yeah. at some point in this semester. <laughs> um, and it didn't happen while I was there. So it happened while I was already back in Canada. Um mm. But my whole family, and we had this whole group text thing happening where we were just taking, my dad was taking last minute pictures of her and, you know, he was describing her last walk, her last meal, uh, mm. everything. And then uh, a good friend of mine uh, who has been a dear friend of mine for a very long time, he uh, he got wind of this and he wanted to be there with my, my, with my brother and my dad when this happened. And, <laughs> uh, and so he went and was there and yeah, it was just, it was all very surreal because on a personal score you know losing a pet is difficult for one um yeah i think the circumstances here are also difficult just because she wasn't she wasn't blind and losing her sense of smell or anything she wasn't that old um Mm -hmm. and she wasn't visibly decrepit um which i think made it harder to put her down It, it it's she had cancer in her bladder and so uh, she got to the point where she couldn't urinate anymore. Whoa! And the thing is, is that the the death would come on not gradually but suddenly, and it would be, uh-huh. you know, it would just be a ruptured bladder that would Oof. that would ultimately kill her. And so the veterinarian suggested that we just put her down instead. Um, yeah. Which in in the end is, I think, the right thing to do. Uh, but I don't know. It just raised a lot of <laughs> a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts. Uh, that you and I were already thinking about talking about, and that's why I thought I thought it'd be a good personal segue into this conversation. Yeah. So, did you grow up with Lola? Well, I found out uh, the other day that we actually didn't get her until I was in college, uh, mm. and I didn't realize that. Uh, I thought we got her a long time prior to that. Uh huh. Um, did so you have a dog growing up? We did. We did not have a dog growing up. No, this is the first pet. Real pet. I mean, we had mm-hmm. fish and turtles and things. Um, <laughs> fake pets. Yeah, fake pets. Uh, <laughs> and and Lola was the first real pet that we had. Um, and that was 12 years ago. 
you know, that we got her. Yeah. Which is weird to think yeah. that I've been, I was a freshman in college 12 years ago. Yeah, I actually, I grew up with a lot of pets. We just, and they were mostly outdoor pets. Mm-hmm. Um, we had like this one long line of cats, like from the same family. But like circumstances would happen. We really only ever had one at a time. So it's very strange hmm. that they were like part of the same family. Um, we did have a couple of dogs. So when I was very young, we had this collie, uh, like Lassie. Mm-hmm. Her name was Diamond. Oh, cool. Yeah, she was a great old dog. She died at like 16. Wow. So super old. Yeah, great family dog. And then we got this um, this little mutt named Brownie. Um, she just kind of walked up to our house one day. <laughs> and then, oh, actually, this is a funny story. So she walked up to our house. You know, we fed her and had her around, et cetera, et cetera. And then she just disappeared one day. Really? Yeah, for months. Um, and then for some reason, I don't actually remember what it was, but my parents ended up going to the pound and saw a dog that looked similar to this little puppy that we had sort of adopted. Mm. Uh, at that point, she had grown considerably, so she was a bigger, a big dog. Um, to my child eyes, she was a completely different dog. Mm. But I can see how that sort of changed. Anyway, uh, so we adopted her. It was the same dog. We adopted her, uh, and she, again, she was like 15, 15 or so years old when she died. Wow. So, so, so you have more experience with pets, certainly. And I, I'm curious from you, hearing from you, your pets were older when they died, like those two dogs. Um, yeah. So it seems like those dogs just died naturally. Um, yeah. Brownie was really like, she was slipping fast. And I don't remember if we put her down. I think it was after I had already left the house. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember my mom being really upset, um, when, when she died, but I can't remember if it was natural or, um, or if we took her to the vet and they put her down. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I have emotions as much as I like to deny it. And so I'm, I'm always, I was always sad. I remember being very sad. Um, but it's, there's a different kind of a mentality, I guess, you know, when you've got these outdoor pets and sometimes they just don't come home and you just assume they're eaten by coyotes or something. Mm -hmm. And so now, you know, inside and family dogs are a little bit different. You don't just assume that, but, but I think there's still a little bit of that where you, um, like the reality of death, maybe. A little bit more present with a family dog yeah when you when you grew up with you know the cycle of life pets living and pets dying mm-hmm. yeah i don't know yeah i guess one of the things that i so in your case you had a lot of experience with the death of your pets uh this is the first one for me and it, i just had a few moments where i was just thinking to myself like there is something really pedagogical about this in terms of giving me uh, and everyone in the house a reminder of, you know, mortality in general. 
Um, yeah. But in particular, the mortality of animals, sort of non-human animals, and thinking this this is really sad. But at the end of the day, so, somehow this doesn't change our rhythm of life. Really, like this. Yeah. Yeah. There's a there's a moment uh, of grief, and it could be a long moment. It could be a few days and a couple of weeks, maybe even. Uh, but there's something about it where we all, I think, kind of intuitively know that something has ceased to exist, and so we we pay our respects, but we recognize that that thing is not the same thing as a human being. Um, yeah. Which I find that that kind of intuition is a little bit contradictory to popular devotion to pets. Um, like, like <laughs> Where they're like children? Yeah. So like we have a natural instinct to say, oh, it's really <laughs> sad that such and such a pet died, but... We also have an instinct to move on and get another one just instinctively yeah. or yeah, a replacement uh, a replacement, or to move on very quickly afterwards. Um, you know, as opposed to someone close to me dying who's a human being, like that stays with you forever. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you could probably speak more to that since you have people in your life that have cl- died that are closer to you than me. Um, but with the case of pets, it's like, you're right, there's sort of like a surrogate children thing happening or like a a replacement child thing happening that I've noticed in a lot of different places that I've lived, um, which I only I don't find I don't find it interesting at all. I just find it really scandalous. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, it's like okay, uh, I know of a lot of people who instead of having children have dogs or cats. Yeah, yeah. Have you noticed that too? Oh yeah, it's sort of a I was so I've been watching the series Psych. Mm-hmm. Uh, very funny. I'm on season seven. And there's a, a a wedding in the in the show, and one of the characters told the groom, "I know you're not ready for children, so I got you the next best thing. Here's a dog." <laughs> I was just like, "What? This is so bizarre." But this is precisely how people approach animals, uh-huh. how they how they care for them, how they live with them. It's very and you know you've got all these people putting clothes on their dogs. Mm-hmm. Giving them, you know, gourmet meals, all of this stuff. It's like this dog eats his own poop. <laughs> he does, <laughs> Lola he doesn't never care. ate her own poop. Okay, so. <laughs> this is something that dogs do. Okay, so explain. Uh, <laughs> so let's let's not take the easy route here and just do the straw man, even though the straw man yeah. is probably close to reality. Yeah. Defend that for me. So defend the the cultural move towards uh towards that kind of behavior. Defend it. Well, I think there is a lot there, you know, it, What's especially in it? Do- dogs are a lot easier, I think, to to develop this emotional attachment because they do kind of mirror emotions in a kind of an interesting way. Mm-hmm. Like they appear to be very happy and, you know, all of this stuff and it, whether they are or not, I can't really, I'm not a dog psychologist. Um, You're not even a psychologist. <laughs> That's right. Science. <laughs> uh, but I think that there's, yeah, there's, I mean, and we've historically, uh, human beings and dogs have a very long history together. Mm-hmm. They've always sort of been this companion. And so I, you know, I don't think that we can just sort of forget or deny that that's, that that's a thing that, Human beings and dogs have always been, not always, but for a very long time, been very close. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't think that that happens just because there isn't a connection there. Mm-hmm. So I think I think it is easy to develop that emotional attachment. Is and it, I think it's a it's, good thing. And it's good? Yeah, I think, I think so. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, one of the things I might be slipping into non-defense anymore, but one of the things uh, when you were talking about mortality, do you think we have pets in order to sort of hurry the experience of death in the family <laughs> to like mm. teach children? Uh, no, I've, I've actually thought I thought about that a little bit when Lola was put down because uh, my brother's kids were in Houston and they they had to say their goodbyes. Yeah, and there is something there about teaching the kid uh, about mortality. Now, I will say. Maybe this is a problem with our culture. I don't know, but maybe it's just as pedagogical for adults. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. because so so let's let's go to a fictional history here. You know, a fictional farm with a fictional you know dad <laughs> with all of these fictional animals, and uh -huh. you know the stereotypical story where the the dad treats animals as animals and is seeking to provide uh -huh. for his family, and then has to you see this in yeah. some fiction stories has to teach the kid about you know Charlotte's Web. Oh, is that a thing? You've never seen or read Charlotte's Web? Well, not recently. All I know is there's a there's a web and a and Charlotte, and she draws pictures. <laughs> okay. Anyway, no. What is uh? You know where I'm going with this? Tell me what Charlotte's Web says. Uh, if I remember correctly, it was about a a runt of a pig, and they were gonna put him down. And, and then he sort of became a pet. Oh, is that right? Is that Charlotte's Web? Uh, I know that there's a there's a spider and the spider writes messages. Uh, and then there's like a there's a prize pig, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. We're gonna have to do some research on that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll we'll come back to that. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. We'll do that and follow up for next time. Um, but there's you know the stereotypical story where the dad has to teach the kid who's overly attached to the pet to let go of the, yeah. the pet because the pet yeah. is just an animal, right? And maybe puts a yeah. rifle in the kid's hands and Old Yeller happens or something. Old Yeller, yeah, there there you go, there yeah. it is. Yeah, so some, something like that. Um, now we don't live on farms, we don't live anywhere near animals, so we yeah, don't. The hydrophobe. <laughs> what is the hydrophobe? Rabies. What are you? He had hydrophobe. Is that what you just said? That's what you call yeller. That's what you call rabies. Yeah, they're afraid of water. Whoa, rabies makes you afraid of water. I think so. I might, I might be making that up. You are making up pretty... a lot today. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm pretty sure this is making for good creative storytelling. <laughs> uh, so uh, my my whole point. Yeah. So we're not farmers. <laughs> yes, this is the whole point of my my point is that we're not farmers, <laughs> and as not farmers, uh, you know there is. Yeah. So think about it this way. Maybe this is overly simplifying things, but I think there's a there's an, at least a kernel of truth in this. The further removed we have been from nature and from animals in uh, in the wild, the less contact we have with them in their natural life cycle and in their natural behavior. Um, yeah. And as we domesticate animals and bring them into our own environment, into our own homes, uh, we... We're, we're we're taking them in within a certain confined context, yeah. Uh, and they sort of become something more than they were before. So before they were just roaming the prairie and coming home for dinner, or maybe getting lost and getting eaten by a coyote, whatever. And you don't grow too attached because you recognize that that is a dog, that's an animal, that's a thing that is yeah. Uh, that's there. It's not a part of the family in the home. But now our only contact with wild animals are those that we've domesticated and broken and turned into, you know, members of the family. Yeah. 
so this is interesting. I think we need to to clarify our terms here, though, because dogs, like dogs as we know them, are domesticated. Even the feral ones are still domesticated. Okay. As they're different from wolves. Okay. So wolves are not domesticated. Okay. Foxes are not domesticated. You know, monkeys are not domestic animals. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've been seeing a lot of things on Reddit recently where people are posting pictures of their pet foxes, like running around and doing crazy things. Oh, I saw saw something like that, yeah. They're super cute, and I can see why people would want them. But they are wild animals. Like, that is a completely different story than getting, you know, a new cat or a new dog. So, like, like with a with a dog or a cat, you could teach it tricks. <laughs> yeah, like they're not gonna just turn on you one day, whereas a wild animal will. Interesting, interesting. Like you wouldn't, even though you raised this tiger from a cub. the The likelihood of it eating your face is very high. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> whereas a cat, even <laughs> even though even though the house cat might might seem like they want to eat your face <laughs> they probably won't <laughs> no, that's good that's good um so so the species of dog yeah. that we're that we take into our homes is already domesticated in that in that sense of the word um and i i appreciate the distinction yeah. um what's curious to me though is i'm making more of a case but, about like no go ahead go ahead, go ahead. No, no, no. I know, I know the, I know what you're trying to say, and I, I completely agree. Say, like, say it for me, because I'm not sure I'm saying these, it right. Um, what's the word? We've got these like lap dogs and show dogs that we, that we, you know, that we just carry around in our arms. They don't even walk, mm-hmm. and we brush their teeth, and we, you know, do all of these weird things that dogs don't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and we mess with their genes, like. The eugenics that goes into dog breeding is pretty incredible. Right, right. Uh, like, I think the pug is a good example of a dog that really shouldn't exist. <laughs> Why is that? They're just, they would die instantly in the wild. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Um, see, now, I think maybe you're looking at this, I agree with that, but you're looking at this more in terms of the dog. I, I'm curious about what this is saying about us. Um Yeah. We, we, for all intents and purposes, have moved away from nature, right? So yeah. nature as such, it seems like we have done a lot to confine ourselves within artificial establishments. Yeah. Uh, you know, we've built up civilizations and kind of pushed the wild and the natural away. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then kind of on our own terms, we allow certain aspects of the natural world to enter into our homes. So we have you know, domestic houseplants and we have domestic um, animals that live with us uh, sort of under our own, on our own terms. Um, and sort of conversely, like by, by having it be on our own terms, we then sort of, I think, contort what these things are and put them into something that they're not, turn them into something that they're not, which is children um, and persons. And I guess maybe the the sub point here undergirding it, which I'm trying to communicate to you, is when we try to to hold nature under our own terms, we end up converting, like turning it into something that it is not. We end up twisting it because it it's never on our own terms. But by turning nature, by by imposing on nature something that is by our own design and by our on our own terms, I think we turn it into something unnatural. 
And maybe there's like a, either like an anthropological or a theological point here is that, is, is it on our terms that we are to appropriate that which is given to us in nature? Yeah, it's that question of eugenics that I just brought up. Mm -hmm. It's a lot easier to mess with the breed of your dog than it is a child. Mm -hmm. So now, it's almost ex it's almost expected. Whereas if you start playing with that with human beings, people start to rightly freak out. Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, definitely. So what's the difference between uh, what's the difference between this like? taking in animals on our own terms and having them become something more than just animals, but having them become surrogate children, what's the difference between that and having dominion over creation? Because if we have dominion over creation, can we not do whatever it is that we want to do with creation? Yeah. What do you, what would you say to that? I think, I don't, I don't think that that's the issue though. I think it's the replacement. We're replacing children with animals. Mm -hmm. um, and that's not, taking dominion over creation we're putting something in in a place where it doesn't belong mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and we're taking something that has that pride of place um and sort of they're an afterthought at best kids mm -hmm. you know oh i'll you know i need to go to school i need to get i need to get established in my job i need to get a family i need to you know all of these things have to happen and then oh yeah eventually um, if there's still time, yeah, I'd like to have kids. Right, right. It's like, well, no, that's not how this works. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. No, so yeah. I think, I think that that issue of dominion, I think that is the issue, and you know, just taking control and and contorting creation to our will is not what that means. That's not what stewardship looks like. Sure. Now, so um, here's a here's maybe a follow up, maybe moving a little bit away from pets, but just talking about more in general with animals. Um, I have had the idea at certain intervals in my life where I, I thoroughly enjoy eating meat. And uh, I think that there's nothing wrong with that. Um, but I have a lot of reservations about killing animals, not on, uh -huh. not on principle, but in practice. Uh, and I wonder, maybe this is my question to you. If I eat a, like if I eat chicken, should I be comfortable with killing a chicken? Like, yeah. with my own hands? Yeah, with mine own hands. With mine own hands. Because <laughs> um, I'm not. I like, mean, I would squirm if I... Yeah. Like, yeah. I, kind of, I kind of feel like there's a contradiction here. Yeah. So, this is a very new problem that we're facing in this world. Um the sort of the the decentralization of food like you can get whatever you want whenever you want you know the supermarket will have everything mm -hmm. um so we really don't know where our food comes from right uh i grew up across the street from uh i don't know what kind of farm it farm it was but there are a lot of cows mm -hmm. always out by the highway um and a lot of the people that I went to school with were farmers. <laughs> uh, so even though I never killed an animal in that way, you know, I don't know if you ever had to take ag class. No. Um, I did. And the first thing that you do is watch a video on the slaughterhouse. Mm. Uh, and so it's a very real part of sort of the, even if you're not 
consciously thinking about it at all times, which I really never did, you still were aware that this is how people got their food. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think there's a danger in this world where people are forgetting that. For, for me, I, I just wonder, like, on the personal subjective level, I don't think... When I, when I say the word chicken, let's say, as an example, if I eat chicken for lunch, I am well aware of the fact that that word, chicken, <laughs> is the same as the word chicken when I describe the thing that clucks in the front, in the front lawn. Um, yeah. Those are the same word, and I know that they refer to the same thing, but somehow there's a compartmentalization in my mind where I don't see the thing before me as having come from the slaughtering of the previous thing. Um, yeah. There's a separation, even though it's clearly that it's the same thing and the same word used to describe the same uh, being. In my mind, there's no direct connection between the living animal, the slaughtering, and then the preparing of the food and the consumption of it. There's a disconnect, um, and I think this is maybe what you're saying, is that we're, we're not we're not proximate to the source of our foods. And I just wonder, it's turned me into someone who is squirmish when I think about slaughtering a chicken, yet I'm perfectly fine eating a delicious, you know, uh, cocovin. A, a little what? What'd you, what? <laughs> <laughs> a cocovin. Yeah. Uh, that, I, I think that that would be delicious. Um, so I don't know. I just, I just kind of get this sense. Well, that, there's a, that contradiction, that, example. In, that inherent contradiction within myself, I find to be indicative of perhaps something yeah. fundamentally wrong. Well, what would you say is a better example? The, the different, do you call that thing on the side of the road a beef? No, it's a cow. It's a cow, but when it's on your plate, it's beef. Okay. So it's, I mean, I'm. that's your point. There's a disconnect there. Uh, well, I don't know. In Spanish, there are different words for when it's alive and when it's on your plate. Yeah, for both cow as well. No, but for cow and for chicken and for fish and for pork. Yeah. Or pork. There's another good example. Uh, there's a difference yeah. between pork and pig. Um, yeah. But you get what I'm saying, though. Like, I just find that porky I, pig. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I I would want I would want to be able to experience the whole process, yeah. not because I enjoy the slaughtering, but because I feel like if I'm going to be yeah someone who's okay with eating meat, I should also be okay with the death of an animal. Yeah, I think, I get what, I get what you're saying. And for me, at least, the I have reservation when it becomes something so unnatural. Like these chickens that never use any of their muscles so that their entire body is white meat. That's disgusting. Yeah, that's, that's not stewardship either. And mm. like, I, I feel... If if it were, um, if I had the choice between having chicken year round whenever I wanted it, and there being a very limited supply because you know there's only a certain certain amount of time where you know farms and all that jazz, I would much rather say okay, well this is where I eat beans. You know I don't have to have this ribeye or this filet mignon every night because. It's just too much. Well, it's also just not available. Yeah. Yeah. The way that these animals are treated so that people can't do that is horrendous. Mm. And that's where I get, that's where I get my reservations Mm. where we're treating the animals um, very, very poorly in an unethical way. So, okay, that's good. And, and I agree with that. Um, 
here's maybe a, a connection to what I was saying earlier about my my pet dog uh, Lola. Um, you're, you're speaking about the way in which we treat the animal uh, as being good, and it implies that there is a certain dignity within the animal. So yeah, what's the word that we use for that? I was trying not to use it just a second ago. <laughs> what dignity? Nope. Nope. What What's the word? Where's what? Where's the center that we send animals to? Uh, the center? What? Yeah, I don't know. The, the humane society. Oh, we're treating them in an unhuman way. That says something about the way that we behave, right? Not the way yeah. that the thing yeah. is. Yeah. Um. No, that's good. So we're acting not as human beings when we treat animals in that kind of yeah. way. Um, yeah. Yeah. That's really good. Um. I guess one one of the things I was just gonna say maybe to end this conversation about pets a little bit is also recognizing that what 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 our relationship to our animals both pets and non-pets what it what it should be an indication of is how what what does it say about us both in our becoming unnatural things and also becoming unhuman things based on the way that we either mass produce meat or the way that we uh you know humanize our animals both are saying something about the degradation of our own humanity yeah. Um, and then on the flip side of that, too, I would also say that there's something to be um, valued in the pet or in the in the animals that's an inherent dignity within themselves. And I I saw I had a conversation with some friends after um, my my dog had to go to the vet uh, about whether or not I could pray for her as a dog. Uh, if I could pray for her as she was yeah. going through all this, what do you think? Um, ooh, that's a good question. Praying for a dog. I think you can pray to end suffering. For the dog? Yeah. Because I think the dogs, even though they might not perceive it in the same way that we do, we do know that they that they feel pain, that they mm -hmm. react to pain. So you can pray for the dog? Um, you're not praying for their eternal soul, because they don't have that. <laughs> right, that's true, that's true. Now, one of the guys I was talking to about this in the house was saying, you know, there is in this in the Psalms, you know, all creation bless the Lord. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, dolphins and all water creatures even uh, yeah. bless the Lord. Um, so in that sense, we, like there we is, pray for good weather. We do, we do. But but that that says more about us needing good weather rather than yeah. weather having intrinsic dignity. And there's something to be yeah. said that. Um, well, I don't know. That same psalm does go on and say that frost and chill blesses the Lord, right? That all yeah. of all of creation does somehow glorify God. Uh, yeah. And if the dog glorifies God in its own doggy kind of way, um, then we can certainly pray in thanksgiving for the dog. Um, but I think your your point is well taken too, is pray for the ending of suffering. Um, yeah, I don't know. I find that a very interesting question. Um, yeah. I'd also like to think that I'll see her someday, but... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe that's wishful thinking. Maybe who knows? Um, I think I think one of the things that um, so the way in which people treat pets as children is in some ways very good, like the way that a child might play house, mm -hmm. as sort of a way of preparation. Mm -hmm. And I think the the trouble comes in when we don't move beyond that. Mm. So the thing that we use as a preparation becomes the thing. Mm. Um, and I kind of feel that with people and their pets. <laughs> mm. 
people in the, people and their dogs. Mm-hmm. Like this, sure, you might not be ready for a child, so here's something to take care of mm. to get you in that mindset of taking care of something. Okay, I'm for that, but it's for the purpose of having a child. Right, right. No, that's good. That's really good. Um, and if if the thing is never let go of, uh, yeah. as a preparation, then it becomes an idol, or it becomes, yeah. yep. it becomes something that it should not be. Um, it becomes a replacement for a human being. Um, no, I I totally see that too. Um, I I I always like seeing um, dog owners who have a lot of dogs, uh, because then it's hard to think about how a, like. The dog very clearly has peers that are of its species. Yeah. Um, yeah. If, when people only have one dog, it's very difficult to remember that that thing in the house is not of our species. Um, yeah. Because it's its own thing. You know what I mean? But yeah. when you have multiple yeah. dogs, it's like you got to let the dogs be dogs because uh, dogs behave differently than humans. Yeah. Um, so yeah. when my brother came into town, he brought his dog, and Lola was then had to learn how to interact with that dog, uh, Darcy. And it was great because sometimes we were reserved about how they would interact with each other. But we had to remember, it's like, no, no, no. When they bare their teeth at each other or chase each other or sniff at each other, whatever it is, it's like, that's what dogs do. And it's a great reminder that these are not human beings. Cool, man. What else do you want to talk about? Anything else on your mind these days? Um, well, there's a couple of things. So, you mentioned semester starting, and I had some problems this past semester with some of my productivity, okay, uh, workflows and such. And I thought we could kind of spend some time just having a chat about best practices, like what do we do, how can we build a better uh, productive lifestyle for studies or for life, yeah. for that matter. Yeah. Um, as you know, I mean, I do like that conversation a lot and maybe just as a, as a preamble to that conversation, we, or maybe as like a disclaimer, are, are we going to be super nerdy here? Is this going to be a, we might, well, yeah, we might be. And I apologize if we, to all of you tens of listeners, uh, <laughs> it, it might I'll be, tr- it might be twos of listeners at this point. Who knows? <laughs> it's right. As soon as they heard the word productivity, they just shut <laughs> off. Um, but no, I think, you know, we talk a lot about the ways in which technology and comic books and movies can help our lives. Um, and I think we need to really explore the best way to use these things so that they don't overcome. Also, as a second disclaimer, we talked a lot about some of the stuff in our first three episodes that mm-hmm. have yet to be released. Mm-hmm. So this might be some... Uh, What's the word? Repetition. <laughs> yeah, some. Re- <laughs> there we go. This might be some repetition. Um, no, but that's but, okay. Now, uh, no. I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you to do something perhaps a little bit unexpected and controversial. Okay. Tell I me. think this is actually a really good opportunity to explain the name of the show. <laughs> okay. Because uh, we haven't done that yet. This is episode yeah. seven, and we haven't explained why we named the show what we did. Um, yeah. And I think as we're gonna get into a topic now of technology and of something that is particularly niche um, uh-huh. that seems very unrelated to most people's, I don't know, care or anything. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh. For us, it's pretty central. So yeah, you, you just alluded to the name of the show, basically. So I want you to maybe <laughs> elaborate a little bit and maybe go more explicitly. Just wh- why did we name the show as we did? Yeah. In the, so in the principle and foundation of the spiritual exercises, 
St. Ignatius wrote that man is created to praise, reverence, and serve God our Lord, and by this means to save his soul. And the other things on the face of the earth are created uh, that they may help him in, in achieving this end for which he was created. Mm -hmm. So I thought was, okay, well, we taught, you have a lot of religious podcasts and lectures and whatnot talking about praising, reverencing, and serving God. Like, yeah. okay, we got that. And very well but, done, too. Yeah, 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 definitely. But that second part, I find we don't really do all that well a lot of the time. The other things on the face of the earth uh, that help us for that end for which mm -hmm. we're created. So, you know, the other things refers to all of those other things on this on the earth um, that we create and that are created for us. So technology is a great example. Mm -hmm. uh, how how uh, so you could replace that line and technology uh, was created so that they may help us in achieving our end. Right. And similarly, you know, pets um, yeah, yeah, or yeah. animals in general or all of the natural world or uh, art and literature, movies. Yep. Yep. A lot of the things that you and I have talked about, uh, beautiful destinations like Hawaii, family time, holidays, um, all of these things are things that are not God. Yeah. Yet somehow can help serve the end for which we are created, which is the praise reference and service of God. Um, yep. Now, for me, as we're getting into this tech conversation now, um, a hidden sort of like principle within that notion that we are looking at all of the other things that help us achieve the end for which we are created, I think the first thing to admit is that all of these things that we are considering have ends. Yeah. That they are not just static, that they are means towards some other end. Now, yeah. th there really is an end to the things that we have. Ultimately, we would say that the thing that they all end aim towards is the glory of God, but there are also proximate ends that, like, you know, pets or technology, that they all have, they, ha they require of us some discernment to think about what they're being used for. And the moment that we yeah. stop thinking about what they're for, that is, what is their purpose, their end, I think we either do them a disservice, we, like technology, uh, we turn them into idols, like pets, uh, we turn them into blind entertainment, mm -hmm. like movies, when they could all be serving the magnification of the glory of God. Yeah, which is not to say that everything has to always be saying explicitly, you know, God, Jesus, uh, this is how you, this is how you pray, this is how you do that. Um, things share in the goodness of God because mm -hmm. they are created mm -hmm. and because they're beautiful. Right. And that beauty speaks to God, but it doesn't have to say God. Mm -hmm. Yeah, explicitly. So, I mean, explicitly. With, yeah. And so with this disclaimer, I just think it's, it's easier for us to begin a conversation where we start talking about things like productivity because when, when we speak, when you say productivity, what do you, what are you thinking of? Uh, I'm thinking of how to live my life better. <laughs> Yeah, and so in the sense of like finding finding ways in which you can improve uh, by different instruments that are available to you. Mm -hmm. um, yep. And and how and, do you? Okay, good. So like our conversation about productivity will be particularly about technology, and in particular how it is that we use those things to help us be better at what we're supposed to be doing. Because because yeah. kind of left to our own devices, we are pretty bad at it. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And left to our own devices with devices, then 
they become the end. We just want more apps and more more things. No, yeah. No, that's good. That's, I really like that. Left to our own devices with our devices, they become their own thing. I like that. Yep. Um, okay, good. So how are we going to begin this, this, this chapter of our conversation about technology? Well, What's David, been on your mind about technology recently? You have done something that I find incredible. Oh, Not just more. incredible, but I don't know how you did it. What is that? You recently got some new devices. I did. I did. You went to you had you went to took a little sh trip to the Apple Store. Yeah. Um, and you waited to get into them. Oh, I did. Yeah. <laughs> it's like I have to force myself <laughs> to not tear open the packaging and start playing with everything in the car on the way home. Yeah. Like I don't understand how you could do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So maybe a little, a little back, <laughs> a little background. Yeah, so what? So what did you get? <laughs> okay. So just a little background. Um, this hasn't been released yet, but in the first three episodes, which we'll release probably with this episode, I imagine, um, we we talked at length about when it is the right time to upgrade. Yeah. You remember that conversation? Yep. Um, yep. And that I've was been episode three, I think. Yeah, and we've been we've been needing I've been needing to upgrade my devices for a while, um, just because they were starting to age and. As one of the, the points of advice that I was given was, you know it's time to change when the, when the objects get in the way. Um, yeah. And I really like that, especially in light of what we just said about, you know, things having to serve an end and not be an end in themselves. When they get in the way, they're not helping you achieve the end. So I started to think about that a lot. And my laptop, you know, it's seven years old or so, and it still functions it's really... Like late 2011? Yeah, and it still functions well. Um, so yeah, in thinking about when is the right time, my 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 laptop seemed to be aged, but it was working well, um, but it was starting to get in the way. And I was struggling just because I kind of felt like I had to completely die before I replaced it. And not because <laughs> I wanted to make an idol out of this. It, it's just, it's a lot of money, and I didn't want to just buy for the sake of buying. And maybe maybe a criticism could be leveled against me that I'm wringing my hands too much about it and in that sense being overly attached um mm -hmm. you know to to the discernment process and not being free to just choose um yeah. and i think that's fair yeah. um, part of indifference is knowing that you need a thing to work well and when it doesn't you get rid of it yeah no that's fair now so the straw that broke the camel's back here for me was um a friend of mine gave me a good piece of advice he said he decided to upgrade when he realized that his laptop needed to be replaced, but also where if he could find when he found a good home for his older device, uh, and uh -huh. he he has a sister that had never had uh, a really good laptop, and he said, you know, you can take this one because I'm about to buy a new one because I need it for the next decade. Um, you can take this one, and he cleared cleaned it out for her, and I just thought about that, and it's like that that gave me a real sense of freedom to say. How can I repurpose my device and give it to someone who's in need and then be able to, in freedom, choose a new a new device for my next decade? Because this is hopefully thinking long term, right? My new investment. Yeah. Um, so that's what I did. I found someone that I could give my laptop to um, and I feel really great about it. And so I decided to go and buy my next device, which hopefully will last me for the next you know, foreseeable future, 10 years or so, uh, is my hope. So I went to the Apple store and I bought myself. Uh, the 13-inch iPad Pro. What'd you get with it? 
Um, I just got the smart cover. I didn't get the smart keyboard. Um, okay. And I got the Apple Pencil. Nice. Um, yeah, no, and it's fantastic. I got all these devices, and it was cheaper than a replacement MacBook would have been. Um, yeah. And I'm finding myself very pleased with all the devices that they've been serving my needs so far. Um, mm -hmm. But to your, your question about how I can do what I did, I... <laughs> I bought them and I was super excited about them, but I also realized that I was going to be moving back to Canada and mm -hmm. I figured it would just be a lot safer and easier for me to just move with those things still in their boxes. Mm. Um, that was my original thought, but then it ended up being that I was going to have to take the laptop, the iPad out of the box anyway at security. So yeah. the night before I left, I realized that and so I took it out there. <laughs> uh, cool. So you started class already. Mm-hmm. How has your experience been uh, with this iPad been so far? Uh, Do you use it for class at all? No, I don't. Um, oh. The only thing I use it for... So I have two devices now. I have an iPad Pro 13-inch and I have an iPhone SE. Uh -huh. And I'm finding that I'll use my iPhone in class more uh, for like a quick scan or a quick uh, pull-up of a thing that I might need from my, my database. But the, the iPad, I don't need it in class because I take notes on my spiral. Ooh, woof. Woof? <laughs> you write on paper? I write on real paper with a real pen uh, in real time. Uh, mm. Yeah, and then there's a few reasons for that. One, The main reason is I, I'm trying to cut down on screen time. Yeah. And I feel like taking notes on paper is just as effective for me as taking notes on the screen, even with a pencil. So if I could just minimize the amount of time spent on screens, I, I feel like I'm going to yeah. take that option every time. But now you have all that paper to deal with. No, I don't. Gosh, gee, you, have to, you have to life hack your way, man. You have to hack your way through life. So in my room, I created uh, a makeshift scanning system uh, to where I use my phone as a scanner, and I set it uh -huh. to auto-scan. And I scan all of my spiral notes at the end of the semester, and then I throw away the notebook. Yeah. And so I keep a PDF of all of my spirals uh, in my database on iCloud, and I keep that forever, and I can just throw away the paper. So I use the paper, mm. and then I get rid of the paper. I feel like all it's right. the best of both worlds, man. All right. You disagree? I just don't like, <laughs> just don't like writing on paper. No, fair enough. I, I think for me, one is... You know, the preserving of my eyes, which we kind of talked about a little bit last time, um, you know, minimizing screen time in that sense. But also, I find that there's something good for me having just a piece of paper in front of me because that's the area of space that I'm allowed to work within. On an iPad, yeah. I just have infinite space. Yeah, well, it, sort of. Well, I do. I can keep, I can, I can pinch in as much as I want and make things as small or as big as I want. I can... It's sort of limitless space within a certain PDF, yeah. and I can keep adding pages, and I don't know. I think there's something nice about the restrictions, especially just yeah. paying attention in class. I'm not, I'm not distracted as much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things that I was surprised with last semester is the... So last year, I did a lot of note-taking using Apple Pencil and the app uh, Notability, mm -hmm. which I find, for yeah. me, is the best handwriting app um, out there right now. Have you tried GoodNotes? Um, I keep hearing about it. I have not, mostly because I don't want to pay for it. And <laughs> uh, um, because Notability works so well, the combination of Notability and PDF Expert, I find 
uh, suits my needs perfectly. Sure, sure. Uh, but this past semester, I didn't really take a whole lot. I did a few, but for the most part, I just typed everything. Hmm. Um, I think it has to do with the addition of the app Bear to my workflow, which we can talk about in a little bit. I really like it as a note-taking app. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm so I'm interested to see if I'll pick up uh, handwriting again for the semester. Who knows? So, but uh, I'm curious that see, I I have a bias against typing my notes. Yeah. Um, on principle, um, and, and I think the main the main reason is well, there's two reasons. The first is, um, I I I type way faster than I write. Yeah. And I think that's a disadvantage when it comes to learning because, yeah. because then I can just transcribe whatever's being said to me rather than trying to process it and trans yeah. and, and then, you know, translate it as opposed to transcribing yeah. it. Sure. Um, that's one thing. Like there's a level of, there's a level of understanding that happens in the interpretation process that, that comes with handwriting that I don't find with typing. Yep. Do you, do you sense that or no? Yeah, which is I try not to transcribe when I'm typing hmm. notes. Um, yeah, I find it works pretty well, and I get to search. You know, I get a cleaner format. Um, you know, in Good Notes, you can search your handwriting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got OCR. Not, um, not, but not OCR for text. OCR for handwriting. Yeah, which is pretty awesome, I think. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, I guess I'll just jump into bear really quickly um they've got this app is really phenomenal uh, i really recommend it it's a it's a note taking app with markdown compatibility which we're not really going to talk about because that's super nerdy um but what it does it has this really cool tag system for file for filing mm-hmm. so i can call something hashtag fall for the fall semester Mm-hmm. Or hashtag podcast is what I do for my um, when I want to make podcast notes. Uh-huh. Um, and so for the semesters, I'll have, and you can do two words. So I'll have hashtag spring slash um, English. Okay, so that is that particular class for that particular semester. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I can just keep going in and, and making sort of subfolders that way. And then I can have Tuesday. I can have 50 notes called Tuesday, but I know exactly which Tuesday it is based on which hashtag it Mm. has. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's just super easy for me. Like I'm always trying to figure out, come up with names for different files or just have one long PDF handwritten thing for per class or have, you know, five different spiral notebooks for each class. Um, I just find that to be way more concise and easy to remember to have it organized that way so you're or so you do your handwriting and notability but you do your typing in bear yeah oh interesting so you got away from notability at the end of last semester because you moved to bear yeah pretty much i don't oh, really I use notability much anymore at all oh i see and bear integrates with uh pdf expert um like do you save your notes in pdf expert under like a no. class folder or no no it just stays in bear okay See, for me, I, I keep everything within PDF Expert as sort of like the, the hub. Um, I could. It exports. It has a really some really cool exporting features. Hmm. Um, and so I could send, a, send the PDF right to 
PDF expert pretty easily. No, sure. That's good. That's good. Um, no, yeah, for me, handwriting has been good. Uh, PDF expert still works out really well. Um, you know, I, I think they're getting better with their handwriting stuff too. Are they? I've That's noticed. Good. Yeah. I, I've noticed a difference in the in the notes that I've been able to take. Yeah, yeah. So let's zoom out for a second. So we just kind of got uh, deep into the weeds here, a little bit about some preferences and apps and usability. Um, uh -huh. What's the alternative that you've experienced in your life in terms of school um, that these methods have helped you with? So I work at a church, mm -hmm. um, and I do almost all of my uh, prep for that in bear mm -hmm. for the same reason. Like it's easy to, to organize, um, what I'm doing and then to export it to whatever I need to do. Mm -hmm. Um, and since I'm pretty much, and I want to, I wanted to touch on this with you, um, pretty much iOS only. And so it really doesn't matter where I am. I can go into the office there. I can do it here. Um, no, but I, my question is, I, I want you to contrast your lived experience now with your lived experience, either in philosophy studies or in undergrad. Oh, of, I see. I see. I see. I see. Of how, how this has helped you. So I am an incredibly scattered person mentally. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, my mind goes all over the place. I'm not very organized. Um, I have a... So in philosophy studies, I would have a backpack full of random sheets of paper because that's what I would take notes on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, Individual pieces of paper? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then some notes would be in this book and some notes would be in that book. Sometimes I would take notes on my uh, MacBook. Sometimes I wouldn't. So I would just have things everywhere. Mm -hmm. And so for me this has been an endeavor to centralize where am I, where do my notes live? Well, they go in this one place. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think that's been the biggest, the big, the biggest benefit for me is to, is to sort of simplify that organization. Yeah. So that my scattered disorganization can have a, can have a home. No, that's good. That's good. And I, and I think also it facilitates then the process of education is that you, you can then become a better learner because you're not worrying so much about the management of yeah. your class. Yeah, I don't have stuff. to worry about any of that. Yeah. Um, and that's good. And then we can see then how the technology is helping serve a larger purpose. Uh, it's not an end in itself. Because I think I think I had this temptation for sure where the tech can become an end in itself because I get wrapped up in the newness and the details of all of the intricate pieces. It becomes a hobby. Um, but for me, like I, I use a lot of these organization and productivity apps because Without them, I'll run into the problem of I don't know where anything is. I don't know the best methods for actually reading and taking notes that's systematic and simplified. And also, I can save for a very long time. Um, everything just becomes a matter of like, oh, I guess I'll check out this book for a couple of hours and maybe read from it. As opposed to like, I have this PDF. I can edit this PDF on this app. I can take notes on this app and then I can save this forever. Uh, and then I can side by side it on my word processor and I can type my paper with it right next to me. Um, it just facilitates and streamlines, I think, the whole student process. Yeah. Um, which is great. And I think I, I'm always shocked to see people who are incapable of having like a system down for uh, school or for work for that matter. Like when 
for, for me, there's a great freedom when it comes to the, the more decisions you can make on the meta level of systematizing your workflows and systematizing your way of being, the easier I think it is to, to live life because then all you got to do is execute procedures in given circumstances rather than always reinventing the wheel as new problems come to you. Yeah, you're freeing up mental uh, power, mental yeah. space. You don't have to worry about things. Right. So, like, I have a worry I, about things all the time. Like, I have I have a basic format for all of the classes that I have. I have the same note taking process. I have the same archiving process for all kinds of files, and everything is streamlined and standardized. So that way, I don't have to choose every single time. I just know what it's going to be. Every class yeah. is going to look the same. Yeah. And yep. if I just walk into a new classroom, it's like, oh, I don't know what's this one going to be, and just come up with a new process every time. It it's very inefficient, and I think it takes away from the experience of maximizing return on investment for my effort. Yeah. What um What other things are you playing around with that you well, wanted to, to chat about? I actually need your help with something. What's that? So I started using the app ToDo last semester. Mm-hmm. And I really like it as a alternative to OmniFocus. I find it to be much more, uh, it's a much slimmer app, sleek. There's a lot of things that you don't have to worry about that you do with OmniFocus. Mm -hmm. um, so OmniFocus and ToDo are both like productivity apps of the yeah, like... task managers. Task managers, okay. But I, I was having this problem at the end of the semester that was causing me a lot of anxiety. Really? And it, it could very well be that I was just doing it wrong. Probably. Um, <laughs> which is probably the case. Uh, I, I kept running into this problem where I had put assignments and um, some other tasks there that I needed to get done for the semester. And I wasn't getting reminders about it. Hmm. Like the reminder would show up the day it was due. Or the day before it was due. Whereas like, you, whoa, had whoa, whoa. Set, you had set it for like a week before? Yeah. And I've got that, you know, <clears throat> in, in To Do, you, you have uh, the smart lists or whatever. Um, and I had one set for give me the next seven days at a glance. Hmm. And even that wasn't showing me the next seven days. So I was like, what's going on here? I don't, hmm. I don't really know how to. So I got to go in and, and figure out how to really set it to where I can have the next seven days or the next 14 days right. glance to where I'm not caught off guard with things that I put there intending to be reminded of so that I could free up that mental space to not have to worry about it. Sure, sure. I mean, the moment, if the app stops working for you, you have to replace it because yeah. it's, it's not serving its purpose, right? If the yeah. purpose is to help remind you of things that you don't have to keep in mind, then yeah. you have to get rid of it otherwise. I have not had these problems with you do. Um, mostly because I don't really use alerts and reminders because I check the app every day, um, yeah. like compulsively. Um, yeah. and so I don't, I don't need to be reminded as much as, uh, you're describing you do. Um, because for me, I have lists that are dedicated to like, what's, what's happening this week, what's due in future weeks. So for example, like I have smart lists on the left side tab that are all the weeks of the semester. So I have 12 lists at the very beginning of the semester already pre pre-established. And so, yeah. and, the, and they're, they're named by the dates of the week. So like, like this week is January, uh, what it, whatever it was, uh, 8th, January 8th through 8, 9, 10, 11, through the 12th, the five days of uh -huh. the work week. Yeah. 
I have one of those for every week of the semester all the way mm. till April. And at the very beginning of the semester, I program into that, uh, into to do all assignments that have due dates. And so they're going to show up in one of those 12. Yeah. Right now. And yeah. so I'll, I can scroll through those at any given time. So like right now I'll look at this week's and next week's just sort of on habit. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, and I might yeah, jump yeah, yeah. to three weeks from now just to see, and I, I always kind of have a sense of what's coming. Yeah. That's a good idea. I'll have to look into that. Okay. For the sake of time, I have a question for you. Um, what would you say is in recent weeks or re recent days has been the biggest sort of like change to your productivity or relationship to your technology? Hmm. The biggest change. I can tell you mine. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what yours is. And mine, actually, mine's exactly the opposite. What is it? I'm on my Mac Mini way more than I have ever been. Oh, really? Yeah. What for? Editing? Editing. Yeah. Actually, I wasn't going in the direction of devices. I was going more in the direction of cloud storage. Oh, yeah. Cloud storage. Yeah. So certainly it's been a change for me to be all iOS all of the time. Yeah. Which has been a welcome change, and I, I have seen no problems with it so far. Every, there's always a workaround for everything, so I don't have a lot of issues. Um, the main thing has been cloud storage. I have recently inherited one free terabyte of <laughs> OneDrive storage. Wow, um, so did I. How weird. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> um, and I am really grateful for that free storage, but it's it's causing me to enter into a discernment process here of like where does all of my stuff need to live? Um, but also yeah. now I think your biggest problem probably is that you're going to have to dip into the Microsoft world. Yeah, yeah, it's really a pain in the butt. It's re It's giving me flashbacks of Google. Like I don't... so. I don't use really any Google products if I can help it, and I don't use any Microsoft products, period. Mm -hmm. Only now, with this 365 OneDrive thing, it's the same thing as Google. They won't let you really do anything with this drive unless you have Word and, um, what's it called, Numbers? Excel. Um, Excel and PowerPoint. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, you have to use these 10 apps <laughs> just to do one thing. Mm. And I find that so infuriating. Yeah, yeah. Dude, but you got to count your blessings, man. We just got one free terabyte of cloud storage. It's true. It's true. But you were, t you were saying that you're even having some difficulties <laughs> yeah, in yeah. getting it <laughs> to work with your device. Yeah, that's, that's maybe a story for another day. But there, there is some, some problems with drag and drop. There are some problems also with um, seeing in the files app on iOS, seeing OneDrive um, work with shared folders, which may be too detailed for our purposes here. But just thinking in terms of if you shared a folder with me, I can see it within the OneDrive app, but I can't see it within the files app, even though there is uh -huh. a OneDrive uh, yeah. you know, link yeah. within the, the side window, um, yeah. which is very frustrating. <laughs> Um, but that one terabyte though, I mean, that's... yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that's nothing to sneeze at. That's, that's huge. No, I mean, that's, that was the, that was the, the reason I could fully move away from my MacBook because I was trying to figure out what to do with all of the files on my hard drive. Yeah. It's like, now I have a solution. I can just dump it all into OneDrive. Yeah. Yeah. Because presumably I'll have that OneDrive 
storage forever. Yep. Yeah, no, real, real problems here. Um, Microsoft. Ugh. Yeah. So why don't we uh, pick this up again next time? Let's uh, connect next time, maybe in some follow-up on how, how our devices are, are progressing. Yeah, we'll have some more um, experience using OneDrive. And for me, at least this semester, will get underway. So I'll, I'll tinker with ToDo and see if I can figure out how to make that work so that I can be a better student. Cool, man. All right, dude, we'll talk later. Thank you.